0: Painterback Quarterly Slush Pile. We take more time than other editorial boards, but we stand behind our methodology, so much so that we're going to share our process with you through this podcast. Welcome to the editorial table we're in a very different um space and and time right now um uh for those of you who are loyal listeners you'll know that Marion wren has been with us rather than in abu dhabi and um she's with us again today and we are not in our little um audio booth, our little recording studio, but we are in fact in a cinder block meeting room in the hallowed halls of McAllister at Drexel University. So that's a little unusual, but I'm still me, Kathleen Volkmiller, Director of the Graduate uh, Program in Publishing. Um, Writer of memoir and uh creative nonfiction and co-editor of the Painted Bride Quarterly. And Marion Wren is right here on my left.
1: And I love being within tickling distance of <laughs> Kathleen Miller Cinder Block Room. Um I am Marion Wren. I am the co-editor of Painted Bride Quarterly. I write essays. Um Creative nonfiction and academic work about uh, writing programs and writing training during the Cold War. I also run the NYU Abu Dhabi Writing Program, where I'll be returning next week. And I, am...
2: <laughs> and I am Tim Fitz, and I'm a writing instructor here at Drexel University and the Curtis Institute of Music. And I write mostly short stories, but also novels. Woo-hoo.
3: And I am Caitlin McLaughlin. I'm the digital communications co-op for um, Drexel Publishing Group. I've been reading for PBQ for about close to nine months now. I said six months before, but it's actually closer to nine. <laughs> <laughs> so much time has gone by. Yeah. <laughs> um, and
1: I'm an English major at Drexel, so that's that. Okay, and we have one remote ed- uh,
0: editor with us, Jason Schneiderman.
4: Hello, I am Jason Schneiderman. I am associate editor at Painted Bride Quarterly. I am the author of three books of poems and one anthology. And I i have uh, actually, I was about to say, I'm an associate professor of English at the Borough of Manhattan Community College, but that promotion actually doesn't go into effect for another 22 days. So I am still, as we record this, an assistant professor.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well done, well done you.
0: Yeah, (laughs) so um, we have three poems today by three separate poets and each one was submitted to a different issue. So I think we're, we're having another first. We love to have first. Let's see if we can keep that going, actually. Mm-hmm. Always have a first, so that's our uh, first um, for us. And um, just remember that you can go to pbq.drexel.edu and find the corresponding uh, poems that we'll be talking about. If you'd like to read along, read ahead, read after, any of read those aloud, things, aloud. read aloud, write with us. Um, speaking of reading aloud, who would like to read the first
1: poem of today? Hillary Jackman private lives i'll read it i'll read it this is marion um and it's hillary jockman and i love the spelling of her last name and i'm going to spell it because i hope i'm not mispronouncing it j-a-c-q-m-i-n and the poem is called private lives they have retired to lost pines and burger time when our tan malibu grinds up the switchback to their mock tahitian village in the texas hills the grandparents can barely stand to touch us but little david they cry out until my father blushes. Kindness is cold champagne poops at five and six o'clock, then jeopardy. A walk through bull pine, clearing brush. Whatever can be done with us. My sister's fist is purpling with cactus spines. My mother's stomach bites. This week, I will not bathe. The grandparents shy from our commotion. Secretly, we flip through the handmaid's tail. Our shared air mattress crackles like a seed. We're trapped. Now that we've come, they won't let us go out past the dry creek bed. Next year, they'll never even leave the house. Why is their clubhouse impermeable, a miniature pentagon? And why can't we order malteds at Lock Drug? Mother says we can't ask why. Inside, we play endless roomie cube. You know, you know, there ought to be a religion for people who don't know what to believe. Grandmother frets, her bad eye winking like a cut-up moon. Outside, a loop of fire ants works a burnt-out stump, persistent as pump jacks, and nights an oil field. We are too young to know what granddad did with catalytic crackers at shell, too dumb to talk duplicate bridge hands, gravity's rainbow, or split stock but we think hard about the hard wood in the Lockhart smokehouse and how granddad's bread machine vibrates like a gravitron. Sometimes they notice me. They say, what are you writing? Are you writing about us? They say, that makes me so nervous. I want to tell them there is so little that I can write, almost nothing, perfume like propane, a tickless clock, how quickly they both turn away. great reading. Uh Thank you. Thanks for reading. It's a great, a poem is a delight to read. Yeah. The way it sort of leads image to image and it's a, it's a long skinny thing. Yeah. So I know our
0: listeners are going to go and look. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) Practically three word lines. Um, and three line stanzas really, really tight and skinny.
4: And that, that's really hard to do because, um, I mean, when you're writing, you, know, you, ca- you can't just shape the line to the phrase. You have to shape the phrase to the line. Mm-hmm. And kind of maintaining that um, consistency of short phrasing is, is a really difficult thing to accomplish.
1: Yeah. I'm reminded when when this is many, many years ago when we were early as PBQ editors. We used to sit at Teresa Leo's apartment in Center City, Philadelphia. I think it was no, Old City, somewhere. It was a really cool apartment. Anyway, we were completely broke and didn't have enough money for Xerox copy machine stuff. So we would hold up poems that were submitted to us and sort of share them around the room from afar so we could all see what they looked like on the page. See what they looked like. And, yeah. you know, discuss them. So it's a long, skinny yeah. thing. Yeah.
0: But what I think also works is the the word I just used, the tightness of it, even though it's so long, it's not rambling. It doesn't meander. It's so every little chunk is another tight description of something. And um, I'm absolutely with these kids at this grandparent's house and and seeing everything that they do. Uh, I mean, and it's, it's this straight-up description, but then so many lines are so beautiful. My, my sister's fist is purpling with cactus spines. Mm-hmm. My father blushes. Kindness is cold champagne kooks, right? Um, our shared air mattress crackles like a seed. I just, I just love all of these uh, turns of phrase as she describes this life.
1: I love that you just corrected a reading too, right? So kindness is cold is the third line of a stanza. And then there's a stanza break. And then the next line is champagne coops at five and six o'clock then Jeopardy, a walk. Blah, 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 right? Yeah. And from when I was reading it, it was like, kindness is cold. And like that stanza break made me stay so long just on that premise, that kindness is cold. Right. But then you get the delivery of, of these drinks, champagne? right? It's called champagne coops. That's what kindness right. is. What's a coupe? Oh listen, I learned that the hard way and this is without it, right? I think it's a glass of champagne, right? It's a it's a, it's a it's a, the French way of saying a glass of champagne. And I learned that the hard way because I was in Paris when I was like, you know, in my early twenties and asked for champagne and wound up with cognac and didn't have enough French to explain the pain. And the way yeah. was like, You order a champagne coupe and I'm like, and I'm a jacket. Ah. That. But I was so broke I couldn't get the thing I wanted. So I wound up drinking. Whiskey, cognac, brown <laughs> liquor of some sort in the beginning of
4: the end. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, cognac is good. I mean, learning to drink brandy is not the worst thing in the world.
1: <laughs> but
4: yeah, no, I, I just have okay. like, okay, thank you. That, that's helpful.
0: Yeah. You know what? I, I thought about this, but never uh, when I looked at this poem in preparation for this. The champagne, even if it's cheap Andre champagne, doesn't fit with the rest of this Family's lifestyle, Mm -hmm. but I kind of extra love it for that. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's something ritualistic champagne coupes at five and six,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. then
0: Jeopardy! Like all of these things are rituals that must be done.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, one glass at five, one glass at six, then we watch Jeopardy! So
2: they don't feel like they want to kill
0: themselves. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot get a mulch.
4: And everything else is so uncomfortable. And that's like the one moment of comfort. Yeah, but of course they don't get to partake because they're children. <laughs>
1: right, the, kids
4: right. the one, the one gesture towards kind of high living that's made in this entire landscape is one that excludes the children who are continuously bored.
1: Yes, and and secretly dipping into the Handmaid's Tale, right, for their teenage jollies.
4: <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, which I, someone was just on Facebook discussing how *The Handmaid's Tale* continues to seem as prescient as ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just great moments through the whole thing, and it's just tight and descriptive. I don't.
3: I like that kind of um, the children's view of everything too. So, like the bread machine vibrates like a gravitron. The gravitron's very, you know, separated from the rest of these descriptions. It's something like you'd imagine at a fair for the kids, and then mm-hmm. we have that mixed with the bread machine. I really like that.
2: Yeah, and I think that the gravitron it makes me think that uh, I, I had a moment last night at, at, at Target where that was reminds me of this moment where I was trying to look for a boombox, and I realized there were no more really aren't any more boom boxes anywhere yeah they, they want like these like high-tech eye boxes or whatever where you put usbs and yeah, bluetooth uh-huh, and everything sure. yeah and i found myself like going up in the aisle like like where are the boom boxes no more boom boxes <laughs> i think oh my gosh i'm a crazy old man now <laughs> and and
1: how quickly it happened
2: yeah and <laughs> when i read this i i realized that that items <laughs> and devices are things that mark generation gaps and so like when when I'm, I have a boombox in my house and my, my kids' friends come over, they think, wow, her dad's weird. He's got, this, <laughs> he's got this big thing that he plays music instead of this other thing that all the normal
4: people use. I had, I had a guest student read to my class and he referenced Teddy Ruxpin and I was like, they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like they have no idea what Teddy Ruxpin is.
1: Okay, yeah. I think you just came up with the title for this episode, mm-hmm. the Teddy Rockson episode. But I actually want to come back to the poem for a moment because I think Tim's point about like time and and the duration of time links in with with what could actually be read as a like a potential problem with the poem. This is a a skinny poem, but it's like three and a half pages long. Like this is a long description, mm-hmm. and it's a long description of not a bunch of exciting stuff, right? Like this is a really sort of careful study of the tedium of being stuck in. old folks home as a pair of kids and what i think it does really elegantly is represent that tedium but without boring the reader and that's that is hard hard to do yeah
0: absolutely
4: it's it's the pathetic fallacy right you want to if you're writing about boredom you can't be boring
0: exactly students love to do right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. write incoherently and say the guy's on mushrooms
1: <laughs> It was <all> <laughs> <laughs> it's so Clinton with the balloons
0: yeah
3: <laughs> um I just like the run I'm sorry guys Go. I like the rhyming too um I really like how it's not obvious so like the Inside we play endless room a Uno Uno, which um, the Uno runs with. Who don't know? I really like that. Um, mm-hmm. It just flows off the tongue. Yeah, I'm trying to look. This.
1: Yeah, these strange grandparents
4: i hear the hammering you guys
1: yeah so drexel's undergoing some construction um we're ignoring you jason don't talk about it
4: (laughs) sorry sorry so trying to
0: open a bottle of cognac it's a haunting
1: (laughs) (laughs) so i i think maybe the last thing i would like to bring to the table on this poem too is the title so it's called private lives and for like the longest little while i was like wait why is this called private lives why isn't it called like the old folks home which would be a sucky title but the fact that it's called private lives and then ends up with that image of the the grandparents finally paying attention right it's sort of like looming over the speaker's shoulder and being nervous about being rendered and then turning away Mm -hmm. is devastating right so it it, it really sort of like lands on its its point right and that last stanza so
3: I admire that move, too. Well, I like the fact that this is what is the private lives of the grandparents. This is what they don't want them to know or to yeah. write about, but there's not really much going on there but to hide. Yeah, right. they're uh, not allowed to know that what grandpa move did.
4: towards the writing, yeah.
0: Yeah, they're too young to know what grandpa did for a living. Like, these grandparents are very um, dried up, can barely stand to touch us,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, but this is the obligatory visit. Yeah, I
1: i'm grooving mm-hmm. i think we're ready to vote i do too agreed okay maybe we should bang on the table like the pipes maybe that should be the way we vote no or Kathy's, not? Kathy's not <laughs> <laughs> all
4: right and we vote
0: <laughs> one two three shoot all right and we're waiting for a remote unanimous no, I, I, I really voted Go, Hillary. Yeah. All right, private lives. Um, I have to bring up something that our listeners won't be able to see. Maybe we can take a photo of it. Jason? Yeah? These champagne coupes are so uh, inexplicable that this family would drink them, right? Right. Marion Wren is wearing a bracelet that's made out oh, of beer tabs.
1: <laughs> I am wearing a okay,
0: bracelet.
4: Are it you wearing like- like the old-fashioned kind that you like pull off. Yeah, like,
0: yes. yes, what people made when you were like in eighth grade. Yeah,
1: I, oh. I love. It. It's stretchy and it's full of. Be- Wait, and do you notice the earrings are also made of aluminum cans? I didn't realize the earrings. So I, were. I love repurposed technology so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I have the bracelet in it. is just so not what I would ever okay. imagine on your body. Honestly, I thought you were going to talk about the champagne coupe because <laughs> the champagne coupe. Point of reference, you know how champagne glasses—they're the tall flutes. Well, the champagne coupe is like—it's—it's it's, it's like a the little, older style. It's one. the older style, which yeah. I think the rumor was, but the was woman the perfect, would take a
0: bath, Jason. You know what we mean, right? The, yeah,
1: for a, last dancer, <laughs> takes a bath. But the point of the that shape was it was meant to be the perfect boob size. Like if your boob fit in a champagne coupe, it was like the perfect boob size. This yeah. was a thing that <laughs> I learned. But maybe somebody was just trying to make me real. <laughs> And now our
0: (laughs) listeners need no photos at all.
1: (laughs) And up next.
0: Wait, wait, now I have to talk about my father and martini. Yes, I do have to do this because this is something that everyone should live by. If you remember nothing else from these podcasts, (laughs) martinis are just like breasts. One's not enough, three
4: is too many.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And (sighs) see.
4: Anne well, Boleyn disagrees.
0: Words of wisdom from my papa. <laughs> uh, and there's no way to segue into the next poem. Well, maybe. Well, a little bit, a little bit.
4: I'm going to point out that if that is true of martinis and boobs, <laughs> it is also true of testicles.
0: True. Is, see, yeah. you could say the same thing. Like martinis testicles. are just like testicles. <laughs> <laughs> Okay then, next up, um, we have a poem that was submitted for the Monsters issues, issue, uh, it's by Keith Woodruff and it's called, The Bride of Frankenstein Blues.
4: Uh, I, I'll read this one. Okay. Bride of Frankenstein Blues. Consider the moon, my friend, how its absence conjures this unromantic air. Here in the bar, smoke unwinds like bolts of slow lightning across the gauzy light. Everywhere you look, mouths, small dark graves, chew on drinks. Now, the music gropes its way through the crowd, looking for phone numbers, drags itself onto the wooden dance floor. This is no night for finding brides. Still, you try, touch her wrist during talk, and spring the classic recoil. Her black eyes twitch like nerves, the head cocks bird-like, spindly arms jerk back from your touch and clasp up her breast sacks as the goose hiss splits her blue lips. These damn castles are cold. Some nights, alone again, arms outstretched on the stairs, you think you might prefer the murderous torches, anything to light you up.
1: Nicely read,
0: nicely done. So can we just start by saying breast sack? Like what a perfect segue. <laughs> there was
1: a segue.
0: <laughs> and there's alcohol being consumed. Right. So we know what we're doing. We meant that all along. We meant that.
4: that. That was our plan.
0: Uh-huh. Um, I've always had a huge heart for Frankenstein. So I might be easily schmoozed, but Frankenstein the monster has always killed me.
4: <laughs> Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> right.
0: right. Well, Frank- I said Frankenstein <laughs> the monster because we think of it as both ways.
4: Right. And I... Um, I guess when Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, you you reach <laughs> you're your past, <laughs> any kind of Mary Shelley insistence
0: i'm talking about the mary Shelley. i used to teach frankenstein over and over and over again and i loved it every time and i love to watch my students fall in love and um so anyway that is all saying like i almost might not even be objective because i have so much empathy for him but um uh to to uh, defend the poem of its own merit and not just making use of a character we all know and already have our own relationships with. Mm -hmm. Um, The exact moment that has already been referenced, her black eyes twitch like nerves, the head cocks bird-like, spindly arms jerk back from your touch and clasp up the breast sacks as the goose splits her blue lips
1: Mm
0: -hmm. wow yeah wow yeah
1: yeah yeah
2: Yeah.
1: so there's that so (laughs) the other thing too is this is coming to us specifically for our monsters issue and you know, we've been reading quite a bit of monster poetry and thinking about what monstrous means and what monstrosity is. And I'm reminded of, um, Tony Barnstone and Michelle Mitchell Faust, I think that's how you pronounce her last name, have a a recent anthology out called Monster Verse. And there's a whole section in the first part of the book about Bride of Frankenstein poems, right? So she figures in this poetic imagination this poetic refiguring in the poems in that anthology. So I was delighted to see one in the slush pile for for pbq and i i do dig the bride of frankenstein blues because the the scene that's set right like your frankenstein's in a bar and trying to make moves on the bride of frankenstein and the perpetual like re- regression of that like it just it's never going to be um it, you know it's never going to come to fruition and that mm-hmm. is heartbreaking right. and and beautifully rendered mm-hmm.
3: And he really, um, the author really captures that tone to touch her wrist during talk, the breast stacks, just this kind of, um, English, but it's not the English that we know. It's not really like what we use. So it's very monstrous in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I taught a class uh, last year and we read an essay called the loss of death and how modern medicine is going to be able to solve everything. And, you, and we talked about mm. Being a 48, one of our editorial editorial meetings, downloading consciousness, all that stuff, eternal life on Earth, and this poem makes me think about how awful that would be. Thinking about how out of touch I am in the Target buying a boombox.
3: <laughs> Imagine
2: two thousand years from now, you know, trying to talk to somebody. <laughs> trying right. trying to pick somebody up and then having everybody looking at me horrified. <laughs> you know, it's bad enough being a man in, in in his 40s. Imagine being a 2046 year old man. Yeah. Right. Made uh, of dead body made of parts. Dead
4: parts. <laughs>
2: and, and I mean it's, it's this is it's, I mean, it's, it's similar to the poem we just read about as far as like because with kids that's what it feels like. I don't want to like jump back too far but being bored at your grandparents' old folks home seems like eternity. Yeah. Right. It, and and this is it here. This is just continues on for real eternity. So I, I like that. I like this commentary on mm-hmm. the things that are happening. Well,
3: I'm really love the, the way
4: know. it sort of picks up on the um that that whole kind of thing about uh, what were they called pickup artists right with the steps that you're supposed to follow in order to seduce a woman at a bar, right. You know, touching the wrist during the talk. And, but it doesn't work every time he does something, it just, he's, he's met with a revulsion no matter what he does
3: right i was gonna say the same thing um maybe i'm I'm a killjoy so like me reading this first i was like wow i wonder what the bride of frankenstein's thinking like this creep who's like trying to get her number all the time trying to touch her wrist (laughs) she does not want him but then thinking about it i like how it brings it back into frankenstein's point of view you know like he's doing all these things that are perceived as creepy by women and not succeeding.
2: I worked with this guy at the holiday Inn Gainesville in
1: 1990. (laughs) And he
2: used to tell me, we were banquet waiters and we were wearing like dirty tuck suits and black pants. And he would, and he had this like nervous twitch and he was really short and he would get right up under my chin when he talked to me and he'd tell me like, he'd say like, man, I got seven digits last night. I got seven (laughs) phone numbers last night. And I kept thinking I'd paid forty dollars to talk to those girls.
4: Yeah, <laughs> their side of it.
1: Yeah. yeah.
4: Are we ready to vote?
1: I think so. I think
0: so. All right. All right. So here in the cement block room, we say one, two, three, vote. <laughs> And Jason remotely comes in, and it's another unanimous yes. Go, Monsters. Yay. Go, Monsters. And Keith Woodruff. Thank Go you, Keith Woodruff. And uh, Hilary Jacqueline, so it's two for two, uh, two separate issues. and have two beautiful poems now. And um, finally, we have one for the locals issue. This is by Kirsten Bridger, and it's a, a prose block. And I guess I'll read it. All right, Kathleen. To the girl from the reformatory town. You wrestled against the clutches of brothers and cousins, etched lessons in your muscle, broke tendencies, rerouted synapse with unwritten chapters entitled Risk, Pain, and Tolerance. Though pale and tender as your own, you clawed your way into their flesh, red scratches and waning moons of bruise. You carved a language of ferocious prey and warning but more startling than the DNA that curled from under your nails was the power which made you surge the breathless current of survival that ran like a lightning rod through the center of your axis as you spun in and out of years, knowing blood tracks would either catch up with you or become abandoned to faster byways and untranslatable modes. So you walk. Never looking over your shoulder, one step in front of the other, past the fermenting bumper crop yard fruit. Never mind the dirty shoelace untied, the frayed gray string dangling over the trestle bridge track. You need this grip of heat, the hot rail under your feet. It's like the static warmth the addicts wear like skull caps, the cherry buzz after needle pierce and plunge. Keep your hair blown back, baby, and charge with the horizon line. Ignore the periphery of prison men in orange. Their 40 ounce cans and spent shells are their business, not yours. Disregard the jackrabbit carcass and its fur, which still clings but will sail away soon like dandelion seeds. Remember it's not a charm and their sentence is not your sentence. You can't do that kind of time. Keep going, never say, it'll all blow over someday, because lies like that scatter, fade, sink back to soil. They'll transform into fragments so sparse, so swallow drunk, the next generation will skip the deciphering stone, misspell the story of you, digitize and archive it on some pixelated and odorless dot com.
4: Well read, yeah, seriously
1: kathleen i'm I'm really hung up on the the beauty of, and the sound and the rhythm of of, of those first three sentences, right and this both mm. really beautiful. really, I can only call those opening lines
0: aggressive, mm-hmm. and I mean it in the best way. You're mm-hmm. just it's like a deluge of really intense things to think about and
1: and be transported into. So okay, so the the you, right, the second person addressed, the the person being addressed has wrestled, has clawed and carved, right? A, and a, a, a path out of this reformatory town, right? Like we're all in agreement on that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you've got this second like pattern of surging and energy, right? And buzzing static that becomes a motif in the palm. And she's and this is I guess a question, right? For, for all of us to think about. Um is she's walking along like train tracks for that escape and the, and the tracks are taking her out of town. Is that what's happening? Is that the the warmth of the static underfoot? You think so. Yeah. Okay.
4: It was just kind of like where she goes. Yeah. I mean, to get away from town, but not like to escape permanently, sort of more in a, you know, just kind of like, this is a place to be alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing as if she's preparing in the future that she's going to get out of this town. But for right now, she's not for right now. She's just at this place.
2: What's interesting to me is I think uh, most people I knew growing up, you feel like you're going to do something when you grow up. You're going to transcend your normal experience. You're going to be something great in life and then look back where you came from. And this person is coming from the reformatory town and just wants to be normal. They want to get to that bottom rock. They just don't want to go to jail. Mm -hmm. They just yeah. I think that's it, it's really interesting to see um to see that sort of pattern Mm -hmm. going on.
1: Yeah, and that's like keep your hair blown back, baby, and charged with the horizon line. Right. And so that buzzing and the charging and the surging is connected to that vision forward, that line on the horizon um trying to anticipate this this stuff proceeding. Yeah.
3: yeah that last line is really my favorite too um the next generation will skip the deciphering stone misspell the story of you digitize and archive it on some pixelated and odorless.com the idea that if she does mess up if she does become like the rest of the people in this town it's going to follow her forever online
2: yeah, another eternity poem. Mm-hmm.
3: Right. Yeah.
4: I was also thinking about um, after Ellis Island digitized all of their records, we were able to find my grandfather's entry into the country. Oh wow! And this sort of like weird, you know, like, but but there is. I mean, there's there's just this endless record of everyone who came in, and mm-hmm. I mean, you really only look if you're looking for something. You know, like either you're looking for a relative or you're doing some kind of research. But yeah, it was it was fascinating that like you know you sort of just turn into these like weird data points that may or may not be rediscovered.
3: And people around my age, like I've been on online since I was like 12, so I have records on Facebook all the way back. So I'm thinking this person probably has records of their not so finer moments online, and everybody in my generation does. So Mm -hmm. it's a sphere that people are going to look at you in the past, and it's going to follow you forever.
1: Yeah. And it's it's funny the three poems are so different three different poets, three different issues, and here we are with us another sort of generational poem, right? Mm-hmm. So like the the charge in the poem is to disregard, right? The the these prison men, right? In orange, disregard their bullets, their their bottles, their their urges, yes. and the the corruption of that, right? And to keep your eye on something else because it, you know. It, it needs to dissipate. Like it needs to derail and she needs to go. Yeah. Right. The middle is
0: just so um, gorgeous with that. With, I mean, she might even be talking to herself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This grip of heat, the hot rail under your feet. It's like the static warmth, the attics wear like skull caps, the choke cherry buzz after needle pierce and plunge.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It's where she goes to get her shit together, right? Mm-hmm. Keep your hair blown back, baby, and charged with the horizon line she's always so she's always looking out even as she's stuck there right now um yeah it, it's very dense and intense and i think it fits its form beautifully mm-hmm.
2: it also fits the tone or the that energy feeling when you pass a prison or when you see a prison on the horizon you get that we passed one the other night we we're driving through jersey and we took this side road and there was a prison Wow. And the car just kind of went silent. You can make a four-year-old and an eight-year-old be quiet for five minutes. Mm-hmm, right, you know, mm-hmm. to see one, you just... Yeah, charm. they're in timeout for a long time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and to remember, it's not a charm. And their sentence is not your sentence. So even living in this town, seeing people in prison every single day, she has to remind herself that they aren't her and she won't become them. Yeah. Right. The yeah. It would be sentence. a
0: scary way to grow up, yeah. right? To always,
3: I Even think about it when traveling
0: in Florida and in Texas, where they have more um, chain gang type of yeah. situations uh, that you know, those guys on the side of the road working. I've always thought that's more of a deterrent than anything else. I can't imagine, mm-hmm. you know, sure. to always sure. see those
2: prisoners. Sure, yeah. um, but I think it's also kind of like a black hole. It could, in some ways, it deters people, and in other ways, it has this negative effect where it feels like. Like we were talking about Ouija boards. You stand too close to it and bad stuff happens. Uh,
0: right. You know? Which seems to be her headspace, right? Like, yeah. because she's there, she can get sucked in yeah. easily.
4: Yeah. I, I mean, doesn't the research suggest that it doesn't deter you at all? It just sort of oh. horrifies it. I mean, the death penalty certainly doesn't deter people because people who are committing death penalty offenses aren't, like, thinking about it when they're doing it.
1: Right. So, The
4: more educated you are, the less likely you are to actually shoot someone with a gun.
1: Huh. I am. Um, wow. Uh, I was looking at Caitlin when she was speaking a moment ago and she was like sort of making a gesture like, you know, a kind of like us and them or myself and, and someone else. Right. Like that right. sort of gesture. And um, it sort of connects up with what you're talking about, like deterrence and and being part of a context like this. But I think one of the strengths of this poem, too, is this pattern of images. One And one pattern is about this like this sort of like like tightly bound surging energy like she's like a lightning rod right yeah. that energy and then it's counterposed with this disintegration stuff right like the jackrabbit carcass is going to disintegrate the image of her is going to transform right it's going to turn into to fragments or or the, the background's going to recede into particles right so those are really like two patterns of images that are really in contradiction to each other and work beautifully to to get at this urgency right like a real sense of urgency.
3: Or like the the sentence is not your sentence, but she's also thinking the sentence is my sentence, but I don't want it to use, so she's constantly fighting between those two um, thought thought processes.
4: I usually don't like poems that are written in the second person. I usually find it kind of like an odd device. Um okay. and here I thought it worked really well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I think we're ready to vote. All right, Kelly. Let's do it. Okay. One, two, three, vote. Wow. Do we have wow. a
1: champagne cork? The champagne,
0: champagne, champagne cork. cork. Champagne cork. We three. Three, uh, three out of three all unanimous yeses. That
1: could be a first as well. Yeah, uh, and, and three for, for different issues. Right. right. So Kirsten Bridger's problem is a local issue. All right. Right. We have one for monsters and one for the yes. industry. That's really great. Yeah. Really great. So
0: amazing. Um, okay, we don't have a lot of time to discuss this, but I really feel the need to bring this up. So uh when uh we wrote uh Kristen Bridger, the last person, uh, for that poem to ask her permission to discuss it here, um, she said, sure, yeah, you know, probably a lot of stuff everybody says. I'm terrified, but fabulous. <laughs> um, but here's the revision that I wrote since I've submitted to you. And we looked at the revision and it simply wasn't as strong for us as the original. So um, it made it made us all think about that, like how frequently, and I'd say it's easily one out of six
2: mm-hmm.
0: pieces we accept. The author will write, uh, thank you, yee but here's my revision. And I would say easily 90% of the time, if not even a scooch higher than that, we prefer the original. So let's discuss this phenomenon of authors in some vein, in some way, feeling good and good about the work. They have to, I'd hope, before they submit. And we must agree. Yes, this is good work, as we're saying yes. But then they continue to um, muck around with it and um, and revise and revise. Is is it simply that none of us are ever satisfied with our work? And and you know.
1: Well, I I want to jump in what? on this and say that I remember if I remember correctly, the piece, the piece that Kristen, Kirsten, Kirsten sent us, the second piece, was such a radical revision. It was almost a different poem right? So what we looked at here was a prose poem. It's a prose block. The thing that she gave us at the second go had line breaks and stanza breaks. I, I, I want to remember that that's that's the case. Maybe I'm totally wrong about this, but <laughs> I remember it being so vastly different. It was very different. different. I remember I was, uh, Marion exactly. went so
0: far as to say this is a new yeah. poem. I don't well, know if I would have said this is a new poem, yeah, but, but, but I that. it was that different. It really
1: felt like a new poem to me and which is why I, I sort of Wanted to insist on, on looking at the first poem, which is to say that I don't, I don't necessarily remember it not being as good as this poem. Right. But it was just so different from the poem, and it felt like, like the initial contract was, was with this one. And this right. is what you know, the right. labor of the editorial board had gone into this one, and I wanted to acknowledge that too. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's my two cents. Right. But uh, just this
0: week, we we started. We were chatting before we started recording. The same thing happened, where. We accepted a poem, contacted the author. They said, here's the revision. And the revision was so different Mm -hmm. that we simply aren't interested in that revision. Mm -hmm. Like we would say no to that revision while we said yes to the original. So, So what's up with that? What's up with poets continuing to play with their writing? Not just poets, all authors.
4: I mean, I think it's because people, revisions often look like new poems because the poem's intent, the, po- the poet is working to communicate a vision. Mm-hmm. Right, The poet kind of has an emotional experience that they're trying to create for the reader, and so how you go about that is going to be really radically different depending on kind of where you are in that writing and rewriting process. And then as the reader who's kind of receiving that, it doesn't necessarily, it, it, it's just a very, very different um, relationship to the piece. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I think when you look back on your writing, oftentimes, well, I know I do this. If I find a piece um, that I've written um, maybe a few weeks ago, I'll go back to it. And sometimes I'll even rewrite the entire thing with the same idea. I don't know if other people do that, but for me, I think maybe that's what they are getting at, unless that's just me and I hate my work and rewrite it all the time. <laughs> I, don't no, know. I think commonly
2: people start off abstract. They know what they're writing about. And the first few drafts, They make it clear to the writer what they're trying to say, but then they, uh, after a number of drafts, they focus it and they get it to that sweet spot. But then their nature is just to keep writing and fixing, and then you just overcook it. Mm -hmm. And you you need a good editor, a good confidant, or a reader, somebody. And I do this all the time. Someone will say, hey, your last draft is better. Stop. You're trying, you're just being a, You're just interfering.
0: Uh, Let's even talk about something smaller. How frequently, uh, we try to not make many uh, revision suggestions, right? Uh, We either accept a piece as it comes or we do not accept it. But on occasion, we'll ask for revisions. How frequently is, let's lop off that last stanza. It even goes that way too, right? Not only is it writing, rewriting the revisions that we get, but people didn't realize they were done. (laughs) <laughs> they wrote another two paragraphs or stanzas or whatever it is, right? Um you guys remember the, the film Six Degrees of Separation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: mm-hmm. Based on the play by John Gore. <laughs>
0: Oh Schneiderman mm-hmm. and um Donald Sutherland is an art collector, and he uh visits a kindergarten class and he's enamored of the work. he's just staring at the work with his mouth agape and he says to the instructor to the kindergarten teacher, "How do you get them to create work like this and she said, "I know when to take it away
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: and 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 that's i i I'm haunted by that phrase. For all the years of when Six Degrees came out, and I think about it a lot as the,
1: in this life as an editor. So that's what we're suggesting—that we all cultivate our inner
4: Donald. Trump. <laughs> well, no, I was—I was once, and I I'm remember once.
1: If we check
0: degrees, we're all related to him. Well, it wasn't him, that kindergarten teacher. We have to channel the kindergarten teacher and and know when to take it away or have friends help us or have editors help us. I mean, honestly, too, we could say nobody has demanded the revision get in instead. No one has become married instead to the revision. Um, They always go, oh, okay then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Take that original. So, Anyhow, I guess the the word for the listeners is you know feel good about your work when you send it out, and then maybe leave it
4: alone. Well, and I think you know like the worst thing is <laughs> when unless you, you get
1: rejected, and
4: you're not attached to it anymore. Like like you publish something and you're like, oh yeah, I don't like that, and I don't want to direct people to the work anymore because that's not what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so that that's also like another kind of side of that.
2: Yeah, if right. you change your mind and you don't like it anymore, just withdraw it. No. Right.
0: Well, that's, but Jason, that's never happened that nobody, that's what I mean. Nobody has no. said, not only have they not demanded the revision, they've never said, I hate that now, no. I'm, well, like-
4: I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of, this This was many, many years ago, and, and not not related to Pain and Bride, but um, a friend of mine in my graduate program, who I knew as a poet, I called him and I was like, hey, you might want to change your name because there's someone publishing <laughs> fiction under your name you know, using the same, I mean, not like, you know, not like it's a, just, you know, you should be aware that someone else, has, and it's a common name. And he was like, oh, that was me tell no one, um, get rid of that anthology. (laughs) And and he just completely disowned the work that was in that. He said he was totally embarrassed by the story. He's sorry that like, he let them take it. And so, I mean, that's a kind of like other, you know, side of, what happens when, you know, the work grows and changes as you do.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. And then the, a flip of that or another facet of that too is just, process oriented approach that we're we're uh, you know tracking here which is you know the poems evolve the work evolves and and going from being published in a literary magazine to getting a book contract or winning a prize and getting a manuscript together what went in the literary magazine might actually change in the book right even though you're acknowledging its original publication and that's up to the you know that's that's when the the author the author makes that decision but it's this first rank of, of interaction with the editors and the authors that we're fascinated by right like right. when we when we yeah. catch an author in between drafts um and find ourselves liking the first draft right um
2: yeah in tobias wolf's greatest hits collection that came out like 10 years ago or so yeah in his foreword he writes how um he had changed stories even for that yeah. new book old yeah. stories are published in books which I th- it's an interesting subject. When is the final version the final version? Right.
0: Well, I guess it speaks to the very first thing we said people just are never satisfied with their work, right? Yeah. Or, or, you know, can be. So anyway, no way to segue out of that, but we have to wrap it up yep. and say, thank you for such a terrific episode to our poets. Three out of three, all unanimous. Fabulous. I guess I I have to know when to stop this podcast.
1: <laughs> thank you, Whoop. Kirsten. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> so uh, go to pbq.juxxl.edu,
0: <laughs> poke around on our site, sign up for our email list. We do not inundate you two, two, three times a month. Um, if you send us a self-addressed, Bongo, we'll send you a podcast sticker, uh, tell us what you think about this episode on our Facebook event page that relates to this episode and keep on reading. Thank you.
1: This podcast is produced through a joint venture of Drexel University's Office of Information, Resources, and Technology and the Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. This podcast is the property of Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. All rights reserved.